Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm very glad you're with us today. Part of the fun of our having done Seek Reality radio programs and podcasts for the past seven years is that I've made a great many wonderful friends in the field of afterlife research. And one of these friends is with us today for the fourth time. Mark Anthony is among the most successful American mediums, and he's probably also one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting, of them all. He's unusual for a number of reasons. Mark Anthony is a gifted fourth-generation psychic medium. Psychic mediumship often runs in families. It's quite surprising, but fourth generation is a little much. He studied mediumship in England at the Arthur Finlay College for the Advancement of Psychic Science. You've heard of the Arthur Finlay College, probably. It's the gold standard for mediumship training. And beyond just communicating with people that we used to think were dead, Mark Anthony also has an abiding interest in many aspects of afterlife research. His 2015 book is called Evidence of Eternity, and it's a really a great read. I loved it. Through the people that he assists in communicating with their loved ones in spirit and other research he's done, Mark provides lots of insights in evidence of eternity into not just usual deaths, but also homicides, suicides, coping with survivor guilt and a lot of other situations that the dead find themselves in. He explains spirit communication there on the basis of science, theoretical physics, and human physiology. And in Evidence of Eternity, I love this, he uses what the dead are telling him about the afterlife to construct exactly the same view of the greater reality that it has taken me a lifetime to assemble. And that's one big reason, frankly, why I loved his book. It was great validation. Mark Anthony is also a successful attorney. He's licensed to practice in Florida, D.C., and before the U.S. Supreme Court. So he sometimes calls himself the psychic lawyer. Mark Anthony is also quite interested in something that fascinates me and is a fairly new death and afterlife related topic, and that's shared death experiences. Dr. Raymond Moody's excellent book on the topic is called Glimpses of Eternity, and it'll be a good thing to get Mark's take on this because, frankly, I'm not sure anyone else has really been studying them just yet, these these new kinds of experiences. So I'm looking forward to discussing that with him and also to discussing what more he's learned about the physics of the greater reality as it relates to afterlife communication. That's really a whole new science, too. Mark tells me that his appearance today is part of the Mark Anthony 2020 Visionary Tour online, and it's really fun to be a part of that. So welcome, Mark. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you, Roberta. It's always great working with you, and I want to not only thank you, but all the listeners for tuning in. Yeah, this is uh, this is kind of a fun thing that we do every week, and it's uh, I, I it's kind of a habit now after seven years. But it is wonderful, though, really wonderful, how many people we have met who, who have really given so much to the people that listen. So thank you for mentioning them. Okay, now you tell me that that um, you you're, you've got a, your fourth generation where were the people who were bef- who came before you in your lineage were they also practicing as psychic mediums or were they just did they just have the gift well it's um, a rather 
interesting uh, story because, as you pointed out, this runs in my family, but it's on both sides of the family. And the two sides of the Yeah, and the thing (laughs) is, Roberta, the two sides of the family couldn't be more different. Uh, My father's family, they emigrated to the United States uh, from England in the um, late 1690s. And my father um, was able to, to perceive spirits and his sister, Marjorie, his mother, Isabel, and his maternal grandmother, Grace, were all mediums. And wow. they were from a very uh, prominent and very, very Christian family from Pennsylvania. So it was kept um, extremely quiet. It was under wraps. It simply wasn't talked about openly, although my dad said that his mother and his sister and his grandmother, they quote unquote, used to be playing cards with the ladies on oh, Thursday geez. afternoon. And he, <laughs> he said one time he was looking through the keyhole of the door and he said they were conducting mediumship readings. And so it was really <laughs> funny, you know, so think of like this really stodgy waspy type family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, then my mother's family came over from Italy um, at the uh, turn of the 20th century and the Italian side of the family looked at it very differently. They embraced it as a gift from God, and they called it uh, the gift of second sight. And my mother had these abilities, and as did her maternal grandmother, Giovanna. Now, what's fascinating about Giovanna, in the Italian-American community of North Jersey and um, Little Italy in New York City, she was known as the woman who knew things. And people would come to her, uh, and nuns, uh, when they came over from from Europe, uh, she would house them until they could be assigned to, to a convent. But she was treated with the respect of a mother superior of a convent, and people would come and pay obeyance to her, including church officials. Wow. And PBS did a special called The Italian Americans. It was a couple of years ago. It was a two-night special, and they actually did an entire segment on my great-grandmother, Giovanna, and they even mentioned her psychic abilities in that. And I remember, like, my cousin called us, and she said, because she knew it was coming out, and we were all watching it, and it was fascinating, and they had some pictures of, of my, you know, that part of the family. And so my dad met my mom at a USO dance. Okay, he just had just gotten out of the Navy, and, he, and so here he is, this young guy, all full of himself, you know, Mr. Tough Guy Navy, because he was special forces. Uh, his unit. Oh, my goodness. Evolved, yeah, it evolved into the Navy SEALs. And he said he stopped in his tracks. He saw, he goes, your mom was a looker. And what it was, my <laughs> mom, she she had been um, a leg model because she had these beautiful legs. And they used to, um, she was a leg model for stockings and and um she was also an artist and an illustrator and because she worked at this high-end department store she used to get the the designer clothes you know really cheap so mom looked you know was dressed to the nines and he thought she was a sophisticated woman much older than him he finds out she's his age and mom said when she saw him There was this immediate attraction, and she said it wasn't like just a physical thing. It was like a spiritual thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so they they um, you know they dated, and and eventually, mom said, "Well, there's something I have to tell you about myself." And she tells him, "You know, I I you know see spirits." And my dad goes, "Oh my God, I do too." (laughs) All right, that's it. Yeah, there was that attraction, And, and so. It appears to be a what's known as a recessive trait, 
In other words, it it's not um, it skips generations. But when two parents carry the same genetic recessive trait, then the likelihood of one of the offspring having that trait increases exponentially. And right. well, then I came along. <laughs> so here well, I am. Aren't you blessed, though? That's a wonderful thing. That's wonderful. Thank you for telling me that story, because uh, most of the really good mediums that I have ever known have in fact had it on both sides, although not maybe to the extent you have. You seem to have really had it on both sides. But it does seem, I think, as you say, to be somewhat recessive. So anyway, that's pretty exciting. Tell us a little bit about how you came along. I mean, there you were. You went to law school. You decided to be a lawyer. What 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 changed then? The, I started manifesting my ability about age three and a half. And... Because I remember talking to my my spirit friends, and I remember mom was like, "Oh my God, he's got it!" And dad was like, "Oh dear," and dad was like, "Oh dear God, he's got it." <laughs> yeah, well, because dad dad's sister had been um, horribly abused because of her abilities, and she was married to a fundamentalist um, religious oh, wow. fanatic, and he had her committed against her will to a mental institution where they they forced her to submit to electroshock therapy until yeah and and what had happened my aunt marjorie i never met her um uh, because she she passed uh uh, when you know uh, before i was i came along and what had happened was marjorie not only saw spirits but she had a premonition one day as her husband, uh, he was getting ready to go to work and he worked at a steel plant in Pennsylvania and she threw a fit. She goes, you can't go to work. Something terrible is going to happen. You can't go to work. And she goes, I got this horrible. And he's like, fine, you and that. Well, he worked in a machine shop at the steel plant. And that day a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and it flattened. It crushed the machine shop that he worked on and it killed everybody in it. So, I mean, oh. there's like a 99% chance he would have been in it at the time that, that it was destroyed. And so you th- would think he would have been grateful, but he yes. thought that this was the work of Satan. So oh. one night these men literally in white coats came and uh, dragged her kicking and screaming out of her home and took her to this mental institution uh, that he'd set all this up. And she was diagnosed as uh, having delusions and hallucinations and schizophrenia because back in those days, that's what, what this was looked at. And she was um, forcibly submitted to electroshock therapy for a period of almost six months. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, that's and terrible. It, it was, and my mother um, was so angry at at um, at uh, Marjorie's uh, husband. She said to my dad, "She goes, Earl, we're having nothing to do with him ever again." That's why I never got to meet Aunt Marjorie, um, at least on 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 uh, this side of existence. I yeah. have her come to me quite often, and oh, that's nice. Yeah, so so that's why when all of a sudden I started seeing spirits. My dad was very upset. He was like, oh, my God. He, and I remember him saying, Mark, don't talk about it to people outside the house. You can tell your mother and me. He said, but people who see things, other people don't. They get taken away. All right. Oh. So I'm like, you know, three and a half, four. Oh, I'm my like, Lord. oh, my <laughs> <laughs> break for a kid. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, and then not long after that, um. I had my near-death experience, which certainly um, was was very life life altering, and 
Well, let's say life defining because at you know age age four, you know I didn't have a whole lot of life experience to reflect on, and what had happened? My dad had gotten a job in aerospace, so the family had moved from uh, northern New Jersey to Orlando, Florida, and and dad was away on business because he you know had to be in Huntsville, he had to be out in California, he had to be in Baltimore all the time because of what he was doing. And this, you know, now that we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, when I was a little boy, impetigo, which is a very severe disease for children, was sweeping through our community, and I caught it. My mom took me to the doctor, and, you know, you get these skin rashes. And so the doctor said, well, put them in a bathtub, you know, cool water with a little bit of bleach in there, and it'll help relieve that. So mom has me at home, and I have a, um, a brother that's um, it's about six years older than me, and a sister is 10 years older. So my fever wouldn't stop. And mom was like, this is getting out of hand. And she was putting ice on me and on the bath. <clears throat> and I remember this because I, I could still smell the, the bleach to this day. And all of a sudden, I start going into convulsions. And mom's like, oh, my God, what, what the doctor didn't know and, and didn't test for is that not only did I have impetigo, but it was so severe, I developed septicemia. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Oh, real bad. And I and I stopped breathing and mom screamed. And meanwhile, my sister had started calling for an ambulance and my brother ran outside to go get the neighbor. And mom scooped me up and ran out. And she told you know, my my brother's name is Earl as well. She goes, Earl, get, you know, and luckily our neighbor across the street was a fireman. And my brother saw his car out in front of his house. So Earl knew that that fire, we called him Fireman Rory. He was really cool. I remember him. He was just this nice guy. And he comes running across the street. My mom runs out. She goes, help me. Mark's dying. And he starts pounding on my chest and doing CPR. So all of a sudden they get me, he gets me breathing just as the ambulance pulls up. So then the, um, the, the paramedic jumps out. They, they put me on a gurney slam me into the ambulance mom jumps in with him we zoom off but roberta what nobody realized is when the ambulance door was slammed it it caught the ventilator hose in the door and so oh, I'm, yeah and so so the paramedics like he's not breathing we can't get him air and he goes oh my god the ventilator hose is stuck in the door and and so my mom was like oh no and and they're going almost 100 miles an hour to orange memorial hospital and he goes his heart stopped i can't get a pulse he goes unless we can get him breathing he's gonna die and my mom mom goes i'll have to get the the door open so so the um the paramedics holding onto the gurney with one hand. He's got my mom by the waist and the other. Oh, She's pushing with all her might. Get the door open. She loops her foot on and grabs her, you know, the ventilator hose and foot, and she she's trying to pull it in. Well, all of a sudden, there's this flash. And I go flying out through the roof of the ambulance, and I'm looking down and I'm seeing it zooming away. And all I'm wondering is why does that that ambulance have numbers on its roof and then i realized i'm flying and i remember thinking this is fun it was like jumping up and down on my bed like i wasn't supposed to do but little kids do and except i kept going higher and then um i felt pulled through this this tunnel and and there i was in this place and what was really fascinating roberta is there was these people there but they didn't look like like people in in other words, 
the best way I can describe it is they kind of look like, you know how an Academy Award looks? It's like a, an anthropomorphic, you know, it's a figure. They look but clear. And they were like these translucent um, beings, and they glowed from the inside out. And there was a lot of them there, and they were nice. They were very friendly, and I wasn't scared. And they were like, don't worry, Mark, you'll be fine. And But then the light that they were in, a brighter light, started consuming the entire place. And I... I don't even know what word to use to describe this other than God. And I heard eternal light, eternal life. And all of a sudden, this electrical shock goes through my body, and I hear, clear! And oh, <laughs> it's it, back. So, yeah, so what had happened is my heart had stopped. They got the ventilator on me, and the paramedic hit me with the defibrillators, and it brought me back. And and so there I am. I'm strapped down on this gurney. Um, I, I was running a huge fever. I covered with rashes. I uh, had pe- uh, this big burly guy pounding on my chest. I'd just been electrocuted back into existence. And I'm like, I want to go back to the light people. Um, but I remember later on being in the hospital, and they had me on IV um, in- intravenous antibiotics. And that, that brought my fever down and started getting the infection under control. And my dad had flown in because my, my sister had called him, and he flew back. I think he was in Huntsville, Alabama. And um, and when when he got back and I was laying in the hospital and I came to, I remember saying to Ma, I go, Mommy and Daddy, I go, what does eternal mean? And I remember my parents looking at, down at me and then looking at each other, and Dad said, Bark, tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah. So the afterlife has been a big part of my life from day one, and I, I don't mean to go on and on with my family stories, but as I discovered later in life, my father had had two near-death experiences, one when he was 16 and was in a terrible car accident, another when he was a U.S. diver off the coast of New Jersey, and he almost drowned um, in 150 feet of water when his regulator stopped working. And uh, in both instances, he described going into a light and the voice, which in both instances told him he had to come back. And when I was a teenager, my mother um, died on an operating table, and she said she went into the light, and her father was there, and Giovanna, other people were there, but she recalls Giovanna. She was very, very close to uh, her psychic grandmother, and they told her it wasn't her time. She had to come back. So my family has been no stranger to near-death experiences and to communication with spirits, both in our capacity as mediums and through these these experiences where we actually leave our bodies. Ah, well, now, are you still practicing law? I mean, are you an, an active attorney, or is this something now that's in your history? Um. I am no longer actively practicing law, and if, you know, because people ask me all the time, "Are you really a lawyer?" Yes, yeah. I'm really <laughs> a lawyer. Uh, I went to Mercer University, uh, graduated <laughs> law school there, uh, which included the study of law at Oxford in England. I've been a prosecuting attorney uh, for the state of Florida, also a criminal offense attorney. Because when I went into private practice, I've done complex civil litigations. I've been the head of four different law firms, and I administrated a government agency. I've tried over three hundred 
jury trials and probably represented in my career a good 10,000 people. So, good heavens. Yeah. Well, how, how did you find time to work to work in the area of um, afterlife research and uh, and being a medium if you were doing all of that? Well, yeah, it's funny thing is I, I'm not one of these guys that just hangs out and lays on the couch and watches. Clearly not. No, because right. from a very young age, Roberta, I've had an influ- um, interest in archaeology, history, philosophy, theology. As, um, as a young, as a teen, I wanted to be a Catholic priest because I was raised in the Catholic faith. And it's not unusual for mediums to be drawn to the spiritual. But I felt – yeah, but I felt it was too confining, and there were too many rules and regulations, so I ended up in law. <laughs> uh, well, uh, talk about That's jumping even out more of- so, right, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's as many rules, if, if not more, and, and – uh-huh. so but, – but it was all about, you know, I liked working with people, and, and – uh, but – so – Whenever I would have a vacation, I'd be off to mystical or spiritual sites throughout the world uh, studying and examining archaeological phenomenon. So this has been my life. And it's funny because a couple of years ago, this media outlet says, and this is Mark Anthony. He's the psychic Indiana Jones. And I've been oh, how called fun. That's I've been, fun. I've been called a lot of things in my life, but that's been one of my favorites. Oh, um, yeah. I'd go with that one for sure. That's better, yeah. much better than being a lawyer, my heavens. Yeah. So, but, but what I do now is I appear on a number of radio and TV shows when the paranormal and the legal system collide. And, and it happens more often than you might think. And so I become the go-to guy, if you will, for the media when, when uh, like, you know, demonic defense uh possession as a defense to um um murder uh was um on talk about the slender man stabbings where this girl felt the supernatural entity. oh i remember that yeah oh my yeah. goodness yeah i just did a stint on uh, coast to coast george nori likes having me on at least once a year to talk about haunted real estate like, yes <laughs> yeah do, do things that go bump in the night bump up real estate values or bump down um or bring them down <laughs> I don't... I don't think that they really help very much. Actually, it depends. A lot of people uh, that have, let's say, mansions or multi, uh, a lot of rooms, a haunted bed and breakfast will fetch a huge price on the market. So so that makes real estate very hot. It's like the Lizzie Borden house, and there's a couple others. Uh, also, in the state of New York, and you'll appreciate this with your legal background, the New York Supreme Court... Um, actually set aside, they rescinded the contract for sale of a house because the seller failed to disclose to the buyer that that property had a haunted reputation. And uh, it's called um, Ackley versus Stambolsky. It's, it's, it's a landmark case when it comes to the paranormal. And a lot of people said, oh, the New York Supreme Court declared that this house was haunted. That's not what they did. They said no. it had haunted reputation because uh-huh. well the seller used to advertise that it was haunted they had haunted tours of it oh um, Lord. <laughs> yeah and, and they had ghost hunters come in and they didn't quite mention this fact when somebody was buying it and then the person yeah. who was trying to buy it realized hey something weird's going on here so because for a court to declare a piece of property haunted that would violate the First Amendment separation of church and state, which, you know, <laughs> um, all, too, all too often gets blurred by our government. Anyway, yes, but, right. Yeah. 
because then the judge is in the uncomfortable position of declaring that if there are ghosts, that means there's spirits, that means there's an afterlife, and that has religious overtones. And um, as much of a man of faith that I am, I do believe in God, I believe in the afterlife, I believe in reincarnation. I'm also a firm and staunch advocate of separation of church and state. Uh huh. Because religion is not government, and when it becomes government, it is fascism. Think oh, many things become fascism, actually. Well, I, that's only one of them. I think well, this is this is a terrible situation, really, that that you're you're touching on, which is that we do have a wonderful system of government in the United States, unmatched in the world, and yet we really aren't following it nearly as much as we used to. That's really tragic to me, but that's just an aside. It is, and we could do a whole episode on that, and maybe we should. Maybe uh, we should, true. <laughs> so, all right, so so um, one of the things that we said we would talk about today, what, what, what happened was this. Mark and I were saying, hey, it's been too long, and it has been. I mean, it's been three years since he was on with me. So, um, so what do we talk about? And we, there were so many things we could talk about, but two things that really stuck out to me were one forces the shared death experience, and the other is just how does the physics of all of this work? So we'll talk about physics in a minute, but... The shared death experiences is something nobody ever heard of until 2011 when, um, again, Dr. Raymond Moody, he's always on the cutting edge of something. He coined the term shared, shared death experience in his book, Glimpses of Eternity, which I thought was great. I recommend it to everyone. Most people, apparently this is this was going on. People were who were dying were, were bringing with, with them some of the people from the dead. It was like a party going wherever they were going. But no one had really written about it. He wrote a wonderful book about it. And this is something you're interested in too, right? Shared death experiences? Most definitely. Um, Near-death experiences, for people who may be unfamiliar with them, is they've been studied all over the world and documented for thousands of years. And it's when somebody, in the like the experience I had, somebody's consciousness separates from their body. There's a floating feeling, a euphoric sensation. Um, the perception of going through this dark tunnel towards a light and then encountering usually uh, people that ha that you know who have passed. And then if you get to a further point into a realm that people can only describe as God. And skeptics have claimed that NDEs aren't spiritual, that they're purely subjective and can be explained as um, a, a birth memory. Okay, Carl Sagan was one of the biggies that came out that near-death experiences are merely reliving the birth experience, which explains traveling through a tunnel into the light. And with all due respect to the late, great Carl Sagan, and he was one of the great astrophysicists uh, of the 20th century, it's been proven now that newborns lack the visual acuity, mental alertness, and cortical capacity to register memories of the birth experience. So that one goes by the wayside. <clears throat> then there's people... Who believe? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was going to go through that real quick, and then, then if I can, uh, go to the the shared death experience. Um, that it's sometimes of uh, oxygen deprived brain, and that's where people have attacked my NDE. That it was anoxia, which is oxygen starved, or hypoxia, oxygen deprivation. But According to the data, oxygen deprivation results in frightening hallucinations, which lead to agitation and belligerence, certainly not the serene and peaceful, peaceful encounter that I had, which 
the vast majority of NDEers, near-death experiencers, have. And then the most interesting attack, Roberta, on an NDE is that they're caused by dimethyltryptamine, DMT. And DMT is a natural hallucinogen, and as the brain is dying, the pineal gland, which is in the brain, releases DMT. So basically, you have your own form of a homegrown acid trip. And DMT and near-death experiences are similar because of the out-of-body sensation and the sense of spirituality. But the differences are significant. For example, in DMT experiences, unlike a near-death experience, you don't feel that you're traveling through a tunnel into the light, not to mention encountering deceased loved ones, or veridical, in other words, verifiable facts that that the person did not know before the NDE. Uh, there's cases of people uh, who've said that they could hear and see the doctors in the operating room or um, a family member crying. There's one case where a woman actually met her. I met her at the IANS, International Association Near Death Conference. She said she was floating above the hospital and saw a blue tennis shoe stuck in a rain gutter on top of the roof. And she said, I, and when she came back and they resuscitated her, she kept telling, there's this blue tennis shoe. And the surgeon said, get two people up on the roof. Let's find out. Well, there was a blue tennis shoe exactly where she said it was. Now, if this is a symptom of a dying brain, why would you be able to recall details like that? So Dr. Raymond Moody, being Dr. Raymond Moody, also started noticing that there were instances where more than one people were getting caught up in the near-death experience, which is why we call it shared death experiences. But, but in his book, very often, it's someone sitting at the bedside of someone who is actually dying. It's, it's not a near-death experience for them. It's a, this is a dying experience, and they're, they're literally in extremists. Sometimes they have the people around them that are their deathbed visitors who are going to escort them to the next level. Um, and then their wife or someone sitting there maybe is a little bit psychic, and sees these people too. And then as the person is actually leaving the body, then the person sitting at the deathbed leaves the body at the same time and they go together for a distance, which is quite, to me, a quite remarkable thing. And he has lots of stories in his book, Glimpses of Eternity, about specifically this phenomenon, that someone goes a little distance. And what happens then is what happens in NDEs, too, if, they're, if people are in them long enough, that they're told that if they go any farther, they're going to die, and they don't want you know, you're not supposed to die now, so you have to go back, and then they do go back to the body that's sitting at the bedside. But isn't that a phenomenal thing, that, that the people are so closely connected, often at spouses, that, that one actually goes in the very first part of the trip with the with the other i think it's just amazing well the reason i wanted to give the background for the near death experience is to to set up exactly what you just said roberta so thank you and as usual <laughs> you hit you hit the nail right on the head so with ndes people the the people that are criticizing them are saying that they're subjective and they're imaginary or they're they're the result of a dying brain 
So what happens in a shared death experience, bystanders, and my friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Long, is the uh, founder of, of ENDERF, the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. And he describes a shared death experience, an SDE, as an event which occurs around the moment of a person's death. And at this time, one or more people share the experience of the dying person transitioning to the afterlife. Yes. Right. And and he said that these experiences are often powerful and detailed, and they are very much uh, similar to what people have in a near-death experience. And then Dr. Raymond Moody, like you said, he, he indicated that bystanders or onlookers at the death of a patient, which can include not only family members and close friends, but also physicians, nurses, and other medical yes. personnel – uh, relate to this, and they've noticed six different um, phenomena. The first one is a transparent replica of a dying person leaving the body. In other words, you see basically the person get up and, and leave the body. Yes. Uh, there's a sensation people in close proximity feel to their rising up. Then a flash of bright light filling the room at the time of death. Other times, there's apparitions of a dead person's relatives. Sometimes people hear music, this beautiful yes. music, which is their hearing frequency. And then one of the most interesting ones is glimpses of the dying person's life review. You know, the proverbial, my life flashed before yes. their eyes. Yeah. Yes. Now, how is this possible? So my observations, because I have been at the bedside of people who are dying, I get called in occasionally because uh, the dying person wants me there and or the family wants me there. Well, I'm a medium, so it's not unusual for me to see and to perceive spirits. But people who aren't mediums are experiencing exactly what you described, Roberta. All of a sudden they're like, hey, there's Aunt Martha. Yes. Uh, she died right. like uh, 20 years ago right? And, or people saying, oh, my gosh, did you see that? And the ancient Greeks actually were the first to record that people who are death's door and non-responsive would um, and possibly even comatose would suddenly regain lucidity prior to dying and mention people and talk to people. There's a reason I'm going off. Um, I'm taking a bit of a tangent, but but bear with me. There's a phenomenon known as terminal lucidity. Yes, and, which is – thank you for mentioning that. Yes. Right. And terminal lucidity happens when a terminally ill person suddenly becomes lucid at the point of death. This has been noted with individuals that have Alzheimer's, severe dementia, even schizophrenia, brain damage, and they're totally comatose. And they've been non-responsive, and all of a sudden they wake up or come out of it just before death and they'll say something and recognize people and they're lucid and then they die. And scientists are like, how does this happen? And even the skeptics, even the skeptics can't uh, offer up an explanation for this one. DMT doesn't cause this. So why is this? Well, in my observations, everything is about energy, quantum physics, Albert right. Einstein said, there is no matter, there's just energy which vibrates at different frequencies so as to be perceptible to the senses. Right. And, and in the laws of the uh, conservation of energy, energy is neither trans, uh, created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And my theory is this. 
How many times, and I know we're all going over to LED bulbs and fluorescent, but good old-fashioned incandescent bulb, and the filament uses the metal tungsten. And tungsten is able to handle and regulate the flow of the energy, the electricity through that bulb until the very end, all of a sudden, before, before the bulb burns out, there's a flash of light. We've all seen this, okay? Well, think about your brain as a computer hard drive. And the computer hard drive did not create the programs on it. It merely houses them. In other words, the soul pre-exists the body, comes into the body, and then leaves the body when the body no longer functions. And the brain has an system. We know this because we can measure it. I've been brain mapped a couple times and studied in laboratories, but it's no secret that uh, the, the human brain has an electrical system. So as the brain begins to degrade, it is no longer able to channel, to regulate, and to handle the amount of electricity that is required by the electrical field in the brain, a.k.a. the spirit or the soul. And in the transition from life to afterlife, there's a surge of energy just like the the surge of electricity through the tungsten in an incandescent bulb, which is why a person can and does regain consciousness temporarily, which also supports the hypothesis that consciousness is separate from the brain, that the brain merely houses our consciousness, our soul, our spirit. It doesn't create it. And so what I've seen is that when somebody is in the process of dying and Spirits are aware of this because their frequency, their brainwave frequency is altering and spirits see that and they start coming in. There's this energetic shift between our dimension and the other side and bystanders get caught up in it, even those who aren't necessarily mediums. And that's why at the time of death, they get caught up in in this uh, energetic shift in in this frequency, and they start to see the spirit of the person leaving the body, the flash of bright light, the energy leaving. They see the dead person's relatives, and they also get caught up in the dying person's life review. It's simply a matter of frequency alignment. And I have seen this enough to where I believe this is a plausible theory. Also, um, astronaut Edgar Mitchell, and he's one of my, my favorite people. He, he's sort of a 20th century renaissance man, also one of the, the sixth human to walk on the moon. And he founded IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is dedicated to parapsychological research. And Mitchell talks quite a bit about quantum entanglement. And he said that when subatomic matter is in a process together, subsequently the subatomic particles go apart from each other and go across the universe. When they do this, they remain entangled. This means if you do something to one, the other responds immediately, instantaneously. So the brainwave frequencies of people who are not dying, or for that matter, not mediums, are in close proximity to somebody who is in this quantum shift from the material world to the other side. So what happens is it's frequency overlap. 
It's like if you're driving down the highway and you're listening to an AM radio and you drive past an FM station, all of a sudden you start picking it up on your radio. This has happened to pretty much everybody. It's the same thing here. And so that, I believe, is the scientific explanation for shared death experiences, which, Roberta, now takes it away from being a subjective, the afterlife and spirits and, and the uh, spirit communication is no longer a subjective experience uh, recalled and reported by one person, but now the same phenomena is being being reported by several, reported and observed by several people at the same time who then can compare their data, and it's identical. So this is not some imagined thing. This is not some byproduct of, of a dying brain. This is energy. And everyone and everything is energetically interconnected. And this, too, is proof of that because for those few moments, the energy of our brain is interfacing with the energy of a person transitioning to a higher frequency that we call the other side. Well, you do make a wonderful argument for your whole position. I think that's great. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's clear you've really thought about it and you've really researched it. Good for you. I I haven't come I haven't come to conclusions yet because it's there's so many parts for me that have to come so come together. But I think that what you say is quite plausible that 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 could very well be what's going on. One thing I want to make sure we talk about is the fact that you you still do readings for people, right? I, I do absolutely. And I mean, I was at your website. Um, Mark's website is evidenceofeternity.com. And if you go to the website, you can sign up for a telephone reading or an in-person reading, and they're not as obscenely expensive. I was so impressed by that, that, that you're, because so many people who are as famous as you are and, and as good as you are could very well charge almost whatever they wanted to. And I see them doing it. But so you, I think you're being very fair to people. But but are you all booked all the time? How far ahead do you get booked? Oh, um, quite a while. But, you know, Roberta, since you brought that up and since we are coping with uh, a pandemic right now, if somebody goes to my website, evidenceofeternity.com, I invite you to sign up for the newsletter and certainly can find out about my books. But if you um, want to sign up for a telephone reading, if you mention in the application Roberta Grimes – Okay, you've got to mention Roberta Grimes, all right? Then you will be eligible for a reduced fee reading. And my staff has instructed that that when people mention this show uh, and the host, Roberta Grimes, that uh, will extend an offer. And I'm doing this during the COVID pandemic because so many people are buckling under the financial stress that this is causing. Yes. And, you know, and, and I know a lot of people think, oh, you got to get from God. You should just do this for free. And it's like, yeah, well, uh-uh. that's no. very fine, well, and good. But the mortgage company doesn't seem to feel my mortgage company doesn't seem to feel that way, nor does the grocery store, gasoline, insurance and everything else. And and uh, as much as I would like to slide down a rainbow on my unicorn into the Republic of Kumbaya, where everything is is free. It isn't. And, and so, well, people need to realize, I mean, you know, I, I've had somebody one time go, well, you have a gift from God. You should do this for free. And I said, well, what do you do? 
This is why I work in customer service at this department store. I that's go, well, that's another a gift from God. Right. That's God. exactly so, right. I said, so why don't you give me your boss's name and number, and I'll call him or her and tell them that because you have a gift from God, you will work for free for the next eight years. Well, I can't do that. I have bills. I go, do you now? Yeah. I I have to just t- tell it. That's very generous of you, by the way. Thank you so much for that. That's certainly unexpected. But um, I I can recommend Mark enthusiastically because um, he has done a wonderful job. For I was I was at a um, a conference once when you started getting uh, some communication, and then there were two other mediums that were picking up the same thing, and we had a spontaneous reading right in the middle of the conference. It was quite amazing. But well, yes, the same. Th- it's the same type of, of link of energy frequency overlap that occurs during a shared death experience. So yeah. W- yeah, the phenomenon that I'm describing, yes, it occurs uh, and it's probably the most widely recognized during an SDE, but it also can occur when more than one medium are picking up uh, the same frequency. Basically, we're all radios and we're tuning into the same station, essentially. But most mediums, um, I think keep raising their rates based on their success and, and basically rationed by price. You're not doing that. And I'm, I, I think that's really very impressive of you. Um, but I, I have never known a medium, everyone, who was not exhausted by what they do. This is, this is much harder work than it looks like. So um, it's, it's, I think, a temptation to charge more and then do it less because it takes so much out of them. And again, you're not doing that, Mark. Good for you. I really, really impressed. I'm impressed by that. Thank you. Is there something, because we're coming to the end of our time now, is there something you especially want people to know? Well, certainly if you want to find out more about uh, my books and order my books and my work, sign up for my newsletter kindly and, and sign up for a reading, kindly visit my website, evidenceofeternity.com. But what I want people to know more than anything, is that first off, mediumship is not negative or evil. There's a lot of people, and and I get this constantly on Facebook. The you know true Christians do not judge, but religious fanatics do. They the question, do. Oh the, my word. Yeah, and the question you have to ask is which one are you? So if yeah. you if you feel that you want to start slinging quotes from the Bible at people. Please don't take a salad bar approach to Christianity where you just get to pick and choose which verses you want to justify your own judgment, because judgment is something you're not supposed to engage in. And they also tend to gloss over a couple past several passages in the Bible, such as 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 12, which gives a detailed list of the gifts from the Spirit of God, which include prophecy and discernment of spirits yes of course there's romans 12 verses 6 through 8 which also says that we all have gifts from god and if your gift is one of prophecy then prophesize in accordance with your faith so there are many passages in the bible there's also what one john 4 1 which says try the spirits to make sure they are of god well you, you you must be therefore talking to spirits if you're testing them out right Exactly. And so why would God give us this gift? And that's to let people know that life is everlasting. Because, um, you know, one of my my heroes musically and philosophically was George Harrison. And he was raised Catholic. He was the, uh, the lead guitarist for the Beatles and had an amazing solo career. And he said, the reason I became a Hindu is because in Christianity, it's believe what we tell you, whereas in Hinduism, you have the direct experience 
like in Hindus don't question the existence of God. Hindus try to see God. And the thing is, and I'm not endorsing Hinduism or any other re, uh, religion, God communicates and talks to us every day. So what I want people to, to understand is that God exists, the afterlife exists, our soul is an immortal living spirit that we can communicate with souls and that when it is our time to leave the material world, we will be reunited with our loved ones in the light and love that is God. Perfectly said. That's wonderful. Well, I've, I'm so glad you were with us today. This has been fun. We'll have to do this again. And thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate your being here. That was Mark Anthony, everyone, and this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm really glad you were with us today, and please never forget, as Mark just said, that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, and you never will end, and when you really get what that means, it changes your whole life for the better. Next week, our guest will be psychic medium Hollis Durand. Like Mark Anthony, who's been our guest today, Hollis Durand is a prominent medium to the stars. She's been on Sirius XM's The Seance with John Edward, on Radio Medium, on KOST, Coast to Coast, of course, which we've all actually, George Norrie is one of the sweetest people who ever lived. We've all, we've all been there. And her best-selling book, I'm Not Dead, I'm Different, has been translated into several languages. She does a monthly newsletter, and she's going to be with us next week to talk about her brand new book called Everything You Wanted to Know About the Afterlife But Were Afraid to Ask. So please join us. And again, our guest this week has been psychic medium Mark Anthony, here for the fourth time. Mark is a wonderful medium. If you are interested in speaking with a medium, you might see whether Mark has time for you because um, I think he does a wonderful, wonderful job. And I'm so impressed that he doesn't charge an arm and a leg. So, as you know, my own nonfiction books, Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, all the fun books. Um, I, I'm right, working on other books, too, but I never seem to have time to get them finished. Um, early next year, well, there'll be the fun of growing with Jesus. I don't think we're going to make it this year, but we have the fun of meeting Jesus this year for children. You can order all of my books. You can find them on my website or on Amazon, and you can order all the books through bookstores on Amazon or the adult books are also available as audiobooks. And if you want to talk about anything at all, never forget, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I do answer every email, although it can take a few days. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, iHeart, and there is the, on the Dream Vision 7 radio family where they, they play them for a second look, and a tremendous number of people know us from there. So that's wonderful. There's also a reality app that you can get for free in the iTunes app store. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you, you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.